and welcome back to Witch Fix. I'm Sarah and today I'm talking about a bit of a mystery that I managed to solve. Um, so I talked in, I think it was my review of Silver Ravenwolf's Ultimate Book of Shadows for Solitary Witches, uh, about like the first pagan book that I owned and that was Kate West's The Real Witch's Handbook, which I bought from Otakers for like £10, which was a lot of money to me back when I was 11 or whenever it was that I bought the book. Uh, and to be honest, it's it's not a small amount of money now, but it's definitely money that I would spend on a book without, you know, breaking a sweat. But this was kind of a big deal for me. It was the first book that I bought about Wicca, you know, out in the open with my own money. Um, I say my own money, you know, money that was mine after having been given to me by my parents. And it was the first thing that I owned that I had at home all the time that was like my way into Wicca. And it was an absolutely treasured possession of mine. But it was not the first book that I read about Wicca. And uh, although it was very easy to remember that one because I'd, I'd had it for so long and obviously looked at it a lot. Um, I was trying to remember the first book that I'd had that was actually about Wicca because I was introduced to Wicca through a magazine article in like a, a teen girls magazine that a friend of mine had uh, shown me and I cannot for the life of me remember which magazine it was probably like Sugar or Bliss or one of those ones uh, and I haven't been able to find that article but I'd remembered that I got a book about Wicca from the library and that I'd not seen that book in there subsequently after I'd taken it out and read it and returned it to the library I definitely did return it it wasn't me that stole it but they'd gotten rid of it at some point and uh, I didn't remember what it was and this was obviously pre the days of Goodreads I, I put every book that I read on Goodreads so that when I want to read a book that I've read previously I can go like oh what what do I remember about that book how do I find it when did I read it and I can look it up on there but sadly this was before then so I couldn't really remember it. The only things that I actually remembered about the book was that it was a hardback um, and it had quite a lot of full page glossy pictures in it. A lot of those pictures were about were of naked people. I remember like nude and doing rites and one of them was a guy with like uh, a deer head on like the horned god and um, I remember it being square. <laughs> this is, these are the only things that I remembered about this book but it was a square hardback book that it had a massive pentacle on the cover uh, that it was called Wicca or something that involved the word Wicca in big letters and then it was primarily bluish green. These are the only things that I remembered about this book and I thought for the podcast I really want to find the book that was my first book uh, in uh, my first book about Wicca that I read and so armed with only those vague recollections I took to eBay while on holiday and a bit bored and I just put the word wicker into ebay and then i changed the settings to look for non-fiction hardback books it doesn't let you sort them by cover color which you know is not unreasonable but then i just sort of skimmed over the pages and then i found it or what i believed to be it and i was like that looks exactly how i remember it looking when i when i took it out of the library so i ordered it because it was only three pounds and then it arrived and I was even more sure that it was the correct book and I started to flip through it and I found in fact that it did contain pictures that I remembered not as many naked people as I remember I think there's only two naked pictures in there but clearly they made a big impression on me when I was a teenager but it did have the one of the guy wearing like the deer antlers um and not much else so um it did strike me as being that this was 
the correct book. And when I looked through it in a bit more detail, uh, I found the first spell that I ever did, uh, which I remembered that I'd gotten out of this book and that it was a protection spell. And in reading that, it like reminded me of the actual ceremony that we'd done to perform that spell. And then I was absolutely sure that this was the correct book. The book in question is called Wiccan Wisdom Keepers. The word Wiccan is like massive on the cover. So that's probably where I got the idea that it was just called Wicca. And it is modern day witches speaking on feminism, motherhood, Wiccan law and more, according to its byline. And it's by Sally Griffin. I didn't really remember a huge amount about the content of the book. I assumed that it was just like a standard Wicca 101 book. But it turns out that I'd remembered incorrectly and that it's actually a series of interviews with prominent Wiccans, if you like, which include um, Doreen Valiant, Starhawk, Janet Farrer and Gavin Bone, who um, wrote the Witch's Bible, which is quite a, a popular book, and some other people. Uh, so there's a guy called Edmund, which is not his real name. He's writing um, under a pseudonym to protect his identity. Dawn Hardy and Tony Meadows, Judy Harrow, uh, Patricia Morrison, who who was handfasted to Jim Morrison, the um, musician, and various other people. And at the start, there is a sort of brief introduction about what Wicca is, which is presumably written by Sally Griffin. But then the rest, um, aside from a, a quick introduction to each person before their interview, is just the interviews of the people. And I was struck by the fact that this was the first book that I read about Wicca, obviously. And I don't really have a strong recollection of it because it was years ago, but at this point um, that I read this book. But it struck me how, one, this kind of tied into a lot of things that I think now about Wicca and a lot of places that I've actually been that are to do with, with Wicca, which I must have read about in this book and then completely forgot about them. But it also struck me that I've not read a book about uh, a book like this about Wicca since reading this book for the first time um this is not a book about how to be a wiccan essentially it's a book about sort of the philosophy behind wicca it's a book about the experiences of its practitioners and about their views on how to be wiccan in your day-to-day -day life how it is to be wiccan in the present day uh, when this was written that was 2002 and it's very much more about the experience of being Wiccan than about the practice of magic and actually learning about the religion itself. It kind of assumes that you know a bit about it and you know a bit about the, the, the law behind Wicca. And I found it really interesting because even though it was published in 2002, it came across as much more accepting, much more inclusive um, and much more about what I feel Wicca is about as a religion than books about witchcraft that have come out very recently. Um, for instance, like uh, Witch by Lisa Lister, which I reviewed earlier, which wasn't terribly inclusive. But this book kind of had a lot more thought behind it. It was definitely a lot more about Wicca as a religion and less about it as like a kind of counter-cultural uh, feminism movement. I found specifically interesting that there are quite a lot of ideas that I've held to be sort of true about Wicca, which are in this book. And I've sort of wondered, is it that this book stuck with me after I'd read it, even though I didn't really remember a lot of what it was about? 
or whether it's because sort of under my own steam and and through the years and because of who I am that it's drawn out of me the same kind of conclusions Uh, for example in the introduction on page 12 it talks about the burning times uh, but it doesn't say like you know witches have been persecuted for years it it makes the connection that you know those women were executed as witches but not because they were witches and I think that's an important distinction and it's something that isn't in a lot of pagan books They, they tend to be quite um, eager to say oh yeah women have been oppressed and, and and witches have been oppressed and you know it's bad you know people have been prejudiced against witches and that's what caused the burning times and it's like well I mean some of those ideas like the, the remnants of pagan religion not being accepted and uh, women being persecuted specifically during the witch trials fairly accurate but you know it wasn't like that there were secret underground witch cults that were being rooted out by um witch hunters and i kind of like that this book um made that connection and it came across as quite considered and philosophical in in the way that they discuss it i also found found on page 13 uh, it says behind the masks of the god and goddess is the universal energy that is neither male nor female in fact, the universal force behind all rights in Wicca is nature. I think that's very interesting. A, a lot of books that I've read recently, uh, not just Witch uh, by Lisa Lister, but also the Silver Ravenwolf books that I've been looking at for other reviews, they're kind of very eager. They're like, OK, so this stuff's masculine, this stuff's feminine. You've got the moon, which is a lady. You've got the sun, which is a dude. And everything is about um, penis and vagina sex and fertility and all the rest of it. And yes, that is a part of uh, the symbolism and part of the wheel of the year and those festivals about you know fertility and the great right and all the rest of it but just as i view all goddesses as one goddess and all gods as one god i also view the goddess and the god as two halves of the same thing and this book is really interesting in how it looks at how feminine doesn't have to mean soft and motherly and caring and masculine doesn't have to mean owns a spear and goes out and stabs people um that there can be goddesses who are warriors goddesses who are crones who aren't you know fertile but who are wise and who are strong and how the god can be nurturing and can fulfill those typically uh, feminine roles of being you know a cook of being the creator of of life and those things are not as concrete as a lot of Wicca 101 books would have you believe. Um, you know, that, that there is this energy in the world and we take it and we say it's the goddess and the god. And then we give those names and characteristics. That doesn't mean that these that there's like a hard and fast line between this is the masculine and this is the feminine. And I think that's especially important for obviously nowadays when we're talking about like different gender roles and expanding on those and saying actually just because you are a woman you have to be interested in being a mum and wearing pink and cooking and just because you're a man you have to be interested in fixing cars and farming and hunting you know it doesn't have to be like that uh this sort of echoed and this kind of acceptance is continued page 17 it says wicket is both a fertility cult and a polar current so the universal concept of birth into a different state is represented by a male and female in the third degree if an initiate is working with their partner the rite will be consecrated with lovemaking if not then the great rite will be symbolic only 
Initiations are always a rite of passage in which the initiate undertakes a rigorous set of challenges and is shown mysteries and is a process of self-transformation. The change is akin to the birth of a new self. Nowadays, the idea that opposite sexes should be part of the rite has been challenged by those outside the heterosexual construct. Women who do not wish to be initiated by men and are members of Dianic covens, named after the virgin goddess Diana, symbolically represent union with the divine differently, as do gay covens. Again, I think that's a lot more, to use a colloquialism, woke than some more modern books about witchcraft. And that's what really struck me as I was reading the whole introduction, really. It was about this kind of idea. It was sort of goes back to it like um, it's almost as if those modern books are representing a kind of fallacy it's like uh, in american politics when they talk about like the good old days when people could leave their doors unlocked and tommy and susie would go and play outside rather than watching tv all day it's sort of harkening back to this golden era that didn't really occur um and sort of modern witchcraft books are talking about how this is the masculine this is the feminine and you know it's time for the feminine to rise up and be all you know fourth wave feminist about it whereas actually these things have been sort of inclusive for quite a while and um, i mean this book is from 2002 and it's saying you know we don't make this sort of heteronormative thing part of our rights anymore it's it's very much up to the individual believer and it sort of feels like we've forgotten that and we've kind of gone for this more extreme polarized version of of gender in the craft which hasn't always been the case having said that I found it interesting to read in the book about uh, Gerald Gardner, um, Gardner credited as being like the father of modern Wicca and like the inventor of it. And the book is actually quite critical of, of Gardner, which um, I found refreshing because a lot of people tend to kind of um, deify him or, or, you know, think that he can do no wrong and that, you know, Gardnerians are the most legit form of Wiccans that you can be. And it's specifically the Doreen Valiant section which is critical of him because obviously she worked with Gardner and she's sometimes called like the mother of modern Wicca like the two of them were responsible for most of the the law we have today so I'm going to read you a little bit about what it says in the introduction about him and then in her section as well I'm just going to read this to you from page 19 Gardner himself was a member of a naturist club that worked to ensure that the right to naturism was maintained and his coven met in the clubhouse of his local naturist club Wiccans have a high regard for nature and human sexuality, and consensual sex between partners is considered a divine act. As Doreen Valiant's charge of the goddess states, all acts of love and pleasure are my rituals. This has led to speculation about Wicca's relationship to sexuality. In some rites, a couple may make love as part of the celebrations. This is always consensual. This celebration of sexuality is very different from Christian morality. Gardner's own prejudice is revealed in his infamous laws, which include anti-homosexual sentiments. In effect, he suggested that Wicca could only be a magical path for heterosexuals. Many groups have since attacked this stance. In her speech to the Pagan Federation in 1997, Doreen Valiant attempted to put right this injustice when she spoke on behalf of gay relations in the craft. She said that in all probability, Gardner had written the laws himself and had not, as he inferred, found them as part of an ancient text. She also took issue with the idea that the high priestess should always be young, so as to represent a fertile goddess, which she considered misogynist. I definitely think that's quite important to unpick and discuss. There's not a lot of books 
now that want to discuss kind of the roots of paganism and the roots uh, going back to Gardner it's very much there might be a, a little history section in the book that says oh yeah like this is when wicker first started being used as a term and it can be credited back to Gardner and in this date and this time and it might also mention something about you know the ritual to keep the Nazis from invading Britain and that might be it and then it's very keen to say like Wicca and then a lot of books tend to kind of push the like feminine power aspect and a lot of them are aimed at uh, solitary practice anyway so it won't really discuss uh, things that go on in covens like the performing the great rite and especially the sort of more sanitized Wicca free witchcraft books like Witch which I uh, reviewed previously and uh, to a certain extent the Silver Ravenwolf book as well um, they don't really want to discuss more in-depth philosophical bent of actually if we're going to say that this is masculine and this is feminine where do transgender people come in to this well maybe we should think a bit more deeply about that and maybe we should think more deeply about why it is that we think that heterosexual union is the only way that life can be created and I found this book quite interesting because even though it's it's coming from like 2002 um, which was a much less open time as is the nature of sort of history at this point it was asking these questions and talking about these things more in depth and even though it had like pages of full color photos and pull out quotes and it does look to all intents and purposes like a coffee table book it is dealing with some pretty intense stuff and i was quite surprised because especially going back to the extract i've just read it's like oh gardner was a naturist so that's probably where the whole skyclad thing comes from. You know, people talk about like, oh, yeah, you, you perform rituals skyclad. And when I've been looking for covens to join, they're like, oh, no, we only perform our rituals skyclad. And I'm like, eh, no thanks. And it's like, well, if the person who basically invented the religion was a naturist, of course, he's going to put that in. If he was a man and from like you know, the misogynistic time that he was in, of course, he's going to say like, oh, yeah, the God can be represented by you know any gnarled old man in a robe but the goddess has also got always got to be represented by you know a young woman who you know i might have sex with as part of the rites because that's fine and normal and you know it really made me think about that and i think it, this is definitely an interesting look at sort of craft history i don't have anything particularly against gerard Gardner. like obviously it's because of him that we have modern wicca and that's really important but at the same time, I do think people sometimes, you know, I've seen online and they're like, oh, yeah, the, you know, Gardnerian, like, oh, my my coven has been created by people who initiated by Gerard Gardner. And it's, you know, it's better than anything else. I don't really like that. Uh, and it's not just uh, Gardner, it's basically anyone who says that they are the only ones with the answer. But at the same time, I do think it's unhealthy to to place so much importance on the words of someone who may have been incredibly problematic. It's just the same thing as like uh, talking about Gandhi and how actually he was, you know, kind of a massive misogynist and maybe a paedophile. Uh, and that kind of all gets swept to the side because people go like, oh, yeah, but he was, he was such a big preacher about peace and acceptance and non-violence it's like yeah but he was also massively racist against black people so let's not forget that in a hurry and i kind of felt that way when i read this section from this is part of the dorian valiant interview it's from page 34 at first i did not question anything gerald told me about what he said with the traditional teachings of the old religion 
Eventually, however, I did begin to question and to ask how much was really traditional and how much was simply Gerald's prejudices. For instance, he was very much against people of the same sex working together, especially if they were gay. In fact, he went so far as to describe gay people as being cursed by the goddess. Well, I see no good reason to believe this. In every period of history, in every country in the world, there have been gay people, both men and women. So why shouldn't Mother Nature have known what she was doing when she made people this way? I don't agree with this prejudice against gay people, either inside the craft or outside of it. So I think that's quite massively problematic. And it's coming from someone who obviously worked with him very closely and was his high priestess. And I don't really have any reason to doubt what she's saying. Um, but I, I, again, had not read this in any other book. Nothing, nothing, not, not in the like even the little bio sections of about him in books about Wicca. And it just struck me as completely like life changing in the way that because we kind of want to pretend as pagans that we're following this religion that's kind of free of all the prejudices of, of Christianity, uh, because a lot of us in the Western world, that's the religion that we've been raised in. And we want to say, no, we're, we're not doing that anymore. You know, men and women are equal. But I think a lot of those prejudices are obviously cultural. And that's definitely where it seems like a lot of this was coming from. And I just think it's quite um, important to, to acknowledge that and to learn about it. And again, this is the only book that I'd ever read about this in, which was quite surprising. And this was kind of another like massive bombshell uh, on the next page, page 35. Another teaching of Gerald's, which I have come to question, is the belief known popularly as the law of three. This tells us that whatever you send out in witchcraft, you get back threefold for good or ill. Well, I don't believe it. Why on earth should we assume that there is a special law of karma which applies only to witches? For the goddess sake, do we really kid ourselves that we are that important? Yet, so I am told, many people, especially in the United States, take this as an article of faith. I've never seen it in any of the old books of magic, and I think Gerald invented it. And again, that's just like a massive thing. Like a lot of books, they have just a section on the the, the rule of three, like it's this massive doctrine thing. Like it's one of the core rules of, of being a Wiccan. And I've said that myself, like, you know, the law of three is one of the central tenets of Wicca. But obviously, I don't think that it applies only to witches. I think it applies to everyone. But I don't think it's like a threefold thing. I've kind of grown away from believing in it in that term I kind of think of it as like karma but in your present life because obviously if you do bad things people aren't going to like you and that's probably going to bite you in the ass later I think of it much more as being more on the earthly plane than I think some people interpret it so yeah I think in general I was quite shocked by some of the things in this book it definitely seems like this book is more radical than its appearance suggests it would be and I just want to read you a couple more extracts just which I think might you know, hopefully blow some minds as they blew mine. So this is a quote from the Janet Farrer and Gavin Bone section. And it says, I'm in a rather unusual situation and it's mainly because of Stuart. He was always the perfect gentleman. And when we came here, we suddenly found ourselves being treated like stars. And I couldn't handle that. I turned myself into the clown of the craft simply because I didn't like the total adoration that we had thrust upon us. And the only way to climb off that pedestal was to act the idiot. So I've had to become a sacred clown. I'm the jester. But then I discovered there's something very useful about being the joker in the pack. It means that we can travel now not just in the United States, but back in Britain and to places like Australia. I can use that joker in the pack to stir up a cauldron, and that cauldron has been stagnant for a long time. 
I find it's a good way of doing it because nobody quite knows where I'm going to pop up next and what bubbles I'm going to burst. The bubbles are dogma, the lack of spirituality and lineage, the idea that only a witch can make a witch. Stuart thought it was rubbish, so did Dorian Valiant, and many people who were the founders considered it irrelevant. It's the followers today that need lineage because it gives them a sense of legitimacy. Oh, sorry, that was Janet speaking. And Gavin's portion is, if you've had a spiritual experience, you don't need that legitimacy because it's coming from within you. It's coming from the self. They're still caught up in this cult figure mentality which occurred in Wicca with names like Gardner, Sanders and Starhawk, deriving your power from a figure. The problem is when people see their initiation as being from a person, not from spirit. I don't know about you, but reading that was like, <sighs> no other book about Wicca had ever told me that. There, there's definitely books that say like, oh, no, you can initiate yourself. That's fine. I think the difference is that this is being written by people who have had a long time in the craft and who have experienced different covens, different ways of working. A lot of these people were initiated into Gardnerian covens to start with and then went solitary uh, and then wrote their own books about Wicca and then completely changed their mind about what they'd written in those books. And I think a lot of the time it's easy to read a book about, you know, Wicca 101, like maybe like the Witch's Bible, and take everything in it as dogma, as how it should be. This is how you practice Wicca. And to forget that the people who wrote that book maybe wrote it 10 years ago and have continued to experience and develop their spiritual path. It continued to speak with the divine and experience it by themselves and they've had different experiences and completely changed their minds and if you keep following what they did uh, what they said you should do in a book that they wrote 10 years ago then you're not practicing what they are practicing right now and you're not practicing for yourself either it's just a static snapshot of what their beliefs were at that time and usually quite a general set of wiccan rules inverted quote marks designed to give you kind of a generic look at the bare basic building blocks of the religion and this book really reminded me of that and it just completely blew my mind that this is actually what it says on the tin this is Wiccan wisdom and it's coming from practicing Wiccans and it's less static and more general it's more them talking about how they personally practice their craft rather than trying to explain the whole craft to someone who's never heard of it before. And I think that's the difference. I'm just going to finish this episode up by talking about the protection spell that was the first spell that I did. And it holds a sort of special place in my heart now that I've rediscovered it, even though I have to say as a spell, it's not that impressive. I think it's basically the only spell in this book. Uh, there are a couple of sections which it gives you like the charge of the goddess and some sort of affirmations. But I think this is the only spell in the book. And... It just says protection spell and underneath it says I worked the spell to protect a child who was being bullied at school. A very common occurrence at work and school. You can adapt the spell for other situations which require protection. And I think I must have read this and thought, oh, a spell. I'm going to do this one because I instantly singled out uh, someone who I knew who was sort of a friend of a friend who was being bullied. And I was like, right, we're doing the spell for this person. And it says, work this spell on a waning moon so the bully will diminish and stop by the dark of the moon. I probably didn't do that. I probably just said like, OK, well, we're all over at your house. Let's do it now. Um, it says, collect herbs that have protective qualities. The herb I used were rosemary, bay, basil, lavender, honeysuckle, peppermint and rose oil. I vividly remember that we used bay leaves because the friend that I would have done this spell with, her family was vegetarian and they had quite a lot of herbs because 
you know they were sort of cooking things from scratch and i think one of those herds was dried bay leaves because we used a lot of those in our first attempts at spell work the next step is visit a sacred well or spring and collect some water or buy some bottled spring water we used evian i remember that in your temple which we did not have construct a circle of protection call upon the powers of the four elements and invite your deities to join you drum to raise energy and to ready yourself for magic i don't think we did any of that um we would not have known how to construct a circle of protection or call upon the elements the elements aren't really discussed in this book at all so i don't think we would have known what they were but we definitely did the next step when you feel imbued with power place a photograph of the person or a piece of their hair under your cauldron and pour the sacred water into the cauldron then sprinkle the herbs one by one into the cauldron asking each for its energy and qualities to protect the person the, the word cauldron was used a lot there um, I distinctly remember doing this bit. Uh, we didn't have a cauldron. We used a clear Pyrex bowl. Uh, I think the photograph that we used was taken from like a school newsletter because it was really grainy. And we put that under the bowl and we poured the Evian in and put the herbs on top. And then it says, take your wand and visualize the person surrounded by friends or laughing together. And then you have to stir the liquid in the cauldron inverted quote marks with your wand uh visualize that and then it says uh, finish with words to seal the spell but it does not give you any words to say um but i think i remember this uh, i was using like a willow twig that i'd found and that was my wand for quite a while uh, before i found a new stick and, and painted that one to be my wand and then the last step is to strain the um water and bottle it and then advise the person who you've done the spell for to put some in their morning bath um which we didn't do because i don't think we actually told this person that we'd done the spell for them for like ages if at all um because there is nothing in the book that says you know that they should know that you're doing it and that's sort of a, an ethical question that i know people go back and forth about but i personally think that beneficial magic is something you can do for someone without telling them to be honest but that's just my personal view um so yeah that's the first spell that i ever performed it was a bottle of evian in someone's pyrex bowl with some baileys floating in it um but it worked um even though we didn't do any of the circle stuff and i think that's because we were very very young and we believed it would work um, and belief is very important i really do think that this book is an important thing to have if, if you're Wiccan, if you're interested in Wicca. It's definitely a good first book to read, which was quite shocking to me because I assumed that it would be garbage from what I could remember of it. Um, it is very cheap online. It was originally £20, but um, you can get it for like three quid now on eBay. So add it to your collection. It also has a lot of really lovely pictures in it of just normal people um, practicing their craft. It's not been staged or done in an aesthetic way like on Instagram. It's definitely just the way that people work. This, you know, people sitting on beaches with like rattles, standing in their garden holding a broom, wearing a little crown that they've made out of, of leaves. And, you know, various sacred sites around the UK like wells and uh, standing stones have also been photographed. And I think it's just really lovely to have. There's also a good mix in there of... Um, there's some men who've been interviewed, Americans and British people. So it gives you a really good feel for, you know, opinions from different places and, and different types of people. Uh, some people who are um, 
professionals. So there's like a lawyer uh, who fights for Wiccan rights uh, as a Wiccan lawyer. And, you know, there's people who just run like um, pagan study groups and run covens and things. So there's a really wide range of experience in there. And I think it's one of those books that really adds to your understanding of like history of the craft and really makes you think about it. Uh, and it's rare that I find a book about Wicca that makes me want to think because a lot of those books tend to be about this is how we practice Wicca and this is what Wiccans do whereas this made me ask a lot more questions and made me think about you know why is it this and made me think about people like Doreen Valiant and Gerald Gardner um, as actual people who are fallible as opposed to you know historic figures who you know we should just follow their words unquestioningly. I hope you've enjoyed this episode and I hope you go on to pick up a copy of this book. If you do, let me know what you think of it. You can get in touch on Twitter at Witchfix or you can get in touch via email with witchfixpodcast at gmail.com. Remember, you can donate to my Patreon. Have a look in the description box down below um, just to get some details on that and support me in procuring some more books so that I can continue to review them uh, on this podcast. I hope you enjoyed this episode and I'll see you in the next one. Bye.